Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. Good evening from the Lincoln Theater on the campus of the University of Hartford. I'm Walter Smith Randolph, Connecticut Public's investigative editor. Welcome to Connecticut Votes 22. Tonight was supposed to be the debate between the two candidates for Connecticut Secretary of the State. However, due to unforeseen circumstances, tonight's debate has been canceled and we are working to reschedule what promised to be a lively debate. But don't change the channel just yet because, as they say, the show must go on. So tonight we'll be giving you a preview of November's election. I'm joined by an esteemed panel of my colleagues. Uh, we have tonight Connecticut public uh, producer and host, Frankie Graziano. All right. We have the host of the Colin McEnroe Show, Colin McEnroe, and University of Hartford Associate Professor of Political Science, Bilal Siku. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening All right. Walter. So we're going to talk about the issues tonight, but the first thing is we have a little bit of breaking news today, right? So a judge ruled against uh, Bob Stefanowski, who's a Republican candidate for governor, in his effort to keep the independent party from running a candidate. So, Colin, tell us what that means. Well, I mean, first of all, the number you should think about is 25,000 votes. That's what that line was worth to Stefanowski one cycle ago. I think there's maybe a greater significance, too, just in the sense that First of all, Ned Lamont has three lines that he's running on. And, and the other part of this is, if you think about maybe the Republican positions being a little bit of a problem overall for the ticket in Connecticut, and what I'm thinking of specifically is Leora Levy, who's the Senate nominee, is pretty adamantly anti-abortion, kind of a, pretty much across the board. And that is a possible generator of turnout among women who are concerned about the Dobbs decision. Um, if, if you're Stefanowski, you're thinking, well, where could I go to get some votes mm -hmm. from people who aren't comfortable voting Democratic this cycle, either because of the national mood and Lindsey Graham's proposal or because of Levy herself? If, if I were Stefanowski, I would be thinking maybe that independent line is free parking for me and he doesn't have it anymore. I, the chairman, this all stems from uh, essentially a close caucus vote and the chairman basically being the tiebreaker. So you have to wonder, like, especially when Republicans are at a disadvantage in Connecticut because there's not as many registered Republican voters, you have to wonder how the campaign and Stefanowski can let something like that happen where you just don't get that line because, as Colin said before, it's so valuable. 25,000 votes yeah. in, a, in a situation where you're about 300, 400,000 shy in terms of registered voters. Well, it's not altogether clear that he's going to lose 25,000 votes, first of mm -hmm. all. I think, you know, the beauty of fusion is that it gives people an opportunity to vote their conscience and so and to vote the party that they support. And so if people though feel like this is an election that Stefanowski can win, then people may in fact 
pull the lever for the Republican as opposed to pulling the lever or, or signing the bubble. Pull the lever, I'm going way back. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> but the idea, of course, is that, you know, this may actually hurt the party because the party needs to get so many votes in order to stay viable. Mm. And so if it turns out that people, you know, go to Stefanowski because they think he has a realistic chance of winning this thing, this actually could hurt the party by not having him on that ballot line. Although, you know, Bilal, I think that's a really good point. The other way to look at it, though, Mm -hmm. is Rob Hodling, the guy who is in that position. Chip Beckett is the running mate. He's a longtime Republican, moderate Republican. So the moderate Republican and possibly the unaffiliated voter, once again, not comfortable, not fully comfortable with some of the GOP's positions right now. They've got a place to go that's not the GOP. And if I were were anybody on the Republican ticket, that would make me very nervous. That seems to be an ever-changing kind of position because I think you were kind of alluding to this with what's happening with Stefanowski and his position, particularly on abortion. I was there in the early days of his campaign, or at least the early days after they got the nomination, and the language around abortion seemed to be a bit more tame. I don't know the right word for it, but... It seems to have gotten, I guess, more extreme in the last few weeks, especially after Liz Karanowitz uh, left the campaign. So it seems like, uh, specifically around parental notification, Bob Stefanowski's big abortion position is that in Connecticut, the governor does not want parents involved in an abortion decision. So he's been talking a lot about that. But the way he was framing that earlier on in the debate was, ask Governor Lamont about abortion, what he thinks. Now he's out and out saying that he doesn't want parents involved in a decision. And we know that, I'm sorry to keep talking here, but we know that parental (laughs) notification can be a big deal because we're talking about specifically in cases of rape or incest, we're talking about people that are, uh, at least with the Lamont campaign, saying that if you have parental notification, it may force people in those situations to get it to to eventually not get the abortion because they have to consult their yeah. parents. But it's an interesting pivot because what I wonder about to what extent because again this is in my mind at least a, a way of trying to nationalize this because these are really a part of the larger national cultural issues, you know, things about education and parental rights and uh you know critical race theory and pulling books out of the library and LGBTQ you know, books. I mean, all of that to me, in my mind, at least, is nationalizing the race. I'm not sure Connecticut is South Carolina. And so whether those issues play statewide and also resonate with independents, for example, whether you're talking about the senatorial race or the governor's race, I'm not altogether confident that those issues will really play big here enough that it will give an advantage to Levy or give an advantage to Stefanowski running against a Democrat on those kinds of national issues. And we know that parental rights is, is, a, is a campaign issue. It's a big topic. Abortion as well. Uh, we saw what happened in Kansas. And so those are some issues that we're going to talk up about a little bit later in the show. But uh, let's get to the ballot question that's going to be on the ballot. Um, and it basically says, should the General Assembly provide for early voting? The last time we saw this was in 2014. It was rejected. Uh, about 53% said no. 47% said yes. You know, we were talking before the show. I know that last time in 2014, it was complicated. <laughs> now it's like seven words, but back yeah. then it was like, you said it was complicated wasn't the right word, right? It doesn't really capture just how bad the wording was <laughs> right. on that. There are other words I'd use, but we're on television. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so we're talking about early voting. So how do we think that's going to fare? What do, we, what do we think? 
You want to start? I'll, I'll start. Sure. I, I think it's going to win this year. I, you know, another hat that I wear, unlike the hat Colin is wearing tonight, <laughs> um, I'm also chair of the board for Common Cause in Connecticut. And this is an issue we've been working on for a number of years. And, you know, our hope is that this is the, this is the year that we will get this done and move Connecticut into a place where we will not be one of the only four states in the country that doesn't allow some kind of early voting. As we know, part of the problem, of course, is that we need to change our Constitution in order to be able to do things like early voting or no excuse absentee you know, ballot um, voting, for example. And so um, I feel like there are a lot of folks who are involved. Common Cause has a, a pack we've created to work on this issue. The Secretary of State has a pack. The ACLU, I think I just read the other yes. day, has a pack to work on this issue. So a lot of people out in the good government sort of space are working on this, and I think this is a year. But, but i got to jump happen. in because one thing I saw here yeah. that was like more encompassing of like the, the whole issue, I saw it on Twitter. I think it was Daniela Altamari that tweeted this out about you. You had said that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you had, you had talked about not a bad thing, not a bad thing. But no, you were saying that, uh, that access to the vote in Connecticut, especially for early voting, mm -hmm. obviously is worse than Georgia. Yeah. I yeah. mean, yeah, we lag behind. That, that was, like, yeah. big for me to see that. Absolutely. And, you know, another way of thinking about that is that states, for example, that were under the Voting Rights Act that was passed in 1965 who had to do things to improve access, they jumped out on those issues in part because they had to. But it's really interesting that Connecticut, you know, blue state, liberal state, as we talk about, lags behind other states. And the way this process may work out, the... State, the land of steady habits may, in fact, be the last state that actually gets early voting, but we're going to get it this year, I think. Yeah, we don't like to do change. Um, this is <laughs> this is a it should be a pretty easy issue. Yeah. Would you like voting to be more convenient? Would you like election day to be a less pressure-filled event? You know, and, and the lessons of recent history are also that it's better if some of this stuff gets done early. We had 2010 where a judge had to keep Bridgeport open for an extra hour or something because right. things were such a mess down there. And 2014, the governor and the secretary of state showed up at the Hartford Cemetery to vote and there were no voter rolls. They exactly. couldn't vote yeah. in the morning. Wow. So the yeah. more that you can sort of take some of, some of the, the, the log jam right. out, of, out of voting on election day and you just make it easier for people. So the only way that you that you counteract that if you're on the on the con side, which is going to be mostly the Republican side, is you're going to discredit it. You're going to suggest that it will leave the state open to more chicanery, to more fraudulent behavior, that something about this is not trustworthy. I mean, I, I think that's a tougher and tougher case to make as we get to be a smaller and smaller minority of states not but, having yeah, this. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be um, any, to me, it doesn't seem like there's some, any organized effort against it i haven't seen any really any uh commercials i haven't seen any materials coming to my mailbox or anything like that you know i just did a story on this uh on early voting and and i got uh the opinion rather of the two individuals that are running to be the top election official in connecticut dominic rapini and stephanie thomas and dominic rapini says he's against early voting obviously but he says he's against it because he thinks it would cost too much to implement it so there's a reason at least that that mm -hmm. that somebody might be uh, against it. Stephanie Thomas says that she doesn't think that early voting disenfranchises voters, but she does think it disadvantages voters. Because a lot of people will say that if you don't have early voting, it's voter suppression. But one thing to look go at going forward, you have the constitutional amendment that right. very likely can pass, but then you have to implement it, right? So like this is going to be a big thing next session if it does pass. They're going to be, lawmakers are going to be talking about this because one big question is going to be, 
you have early voting now, okay, do the ballots go to the town clerk for you to apply to get them, or can you get them sent to your house? And that'll be something that's talked about uh, next year. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. All right, next thing, races to watch. So let's go one by one. Frankie, what race are you watching? Oh, man, there's, there's going to be a few interesting races, but uh, I, I'm lucky enough, I guess I got the 5th District debate, and I think you guys will talk about that. But, <laughs> so let me, just, let me pivot then to US2, which is Mike France and, uh, and Joe Courtney. Look, I, I don't know if, if some of these races are going to be as close as people think they are, but there are some outposts in what's called the 2nd District in Connecticut that are pretty red, uh, killingly, we all know, because of what's happened with mascots mm-hmm. and education and things like Mental that. Health, Mental health. Mental health, right. yes. Yep. It started with a mascot issue, and then it blew up after <laughs> that. But so there's, there's an opportunity for Mike France to take advantage uh, in that area. Also, Mike France is a former naval officer. Those are going to be big things when you're talking about shipbuilding. He used to be a shipbuilder and, or at least supervised the effort uh, for the Navy. Uh, in Groton. So I think, uh, I think that's going to be something he can go back and forth with on Courtney. But the, the rhetoric has been turned up a little bit in that race. Uh, he's called uh, him, he's called Joe Courtney, Ukraine, Afghanistan, and Joe Biden's favorite Democrat. So <laughs> I don't know if the rhetoric uh, is, is going to be uh, something that's big in, the, in a year like this. I don't know if the rhetoric helps if, to, to get more votes, especially from unaffiliated voters. I just want to say the second is very weird. Because, it was, for example, it's been a big, in 2016, it was a big Trump district. It was also in the primaries, a big Bernie district. So there's a, there's a strong streak of, of independence in the form of either high progressivism or high conservatism, uh, not quite, maybe quite as much as a, of a middle. Joe Courtney has won, I believe, seven straight elections. You know, and that gives you a kind of imperviousness at a certain point to get somebody like that out. You've got to have everything go right. You probably need a red wave, which I don't think you're getting this time. You need a really strong challenger. I don't see that in France so much. And then you kind of need your incumbent to make a mistake. He's got to have like a major vulnerability. I don't see Courtney. In October, surprising. Yeah. Well, even now, though, I don't see Courtney. I mean, you know, he's he's pretty well known at this Mm -hmm. point. There aren't a lot of big question marks about him. I think that's a very tough race for Courtney to lose. Yeah. Colin, what what are you watching? Good. Yeah. The fifth. I mean, the fifth is, you know, typically it's the tippiest district here in Connecticut for people who kind of can't picture it. It's it's sort of picture, I don't know, Route 8 or the Nogaduck River, and it's kind of right around there, and it's stuffed to the west. It's actually kind of a, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a merger of, there used to be a sixth district, so it's a merged district. It's hyper-competitive. It is the most 
competitive of the districts, and it also has the newest incumbents. Johanna Hayes is the person who has the least time in office. George Logan also is a little bit more of a familiar challenger. He's got a little bit more name recognition. He's been around a little bit more. Usually they have somebody running there that you've never heard of. I, I, I could see that being, if, if it's a, just a tight night in Connecticut and you're not seeing these huge landslide victories for Lamont and Blumenthal and everybody else, that's the race. I, I actually think the networks are going to be looking at that race uh, on election night. I think that's going to attract national attention as a House seat the Democrats could, not saying would, but could lose. So we'll see everybody with the big boards yep. looking looking at that race. <laughs> I've seen, and I have to say, I've seen a lot of uh, Loken Johanna Hayes commercials. Yeah, I was watching NBC I, 30 the other night. I, I said the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. All the time, every single commercial <laughs> yeah. break. And some of it's outside. It's like DCC yeah. is putting a lot of money into that right. race, too. To me, that's the most fascinating aspect of the races that are going in Connecticut mm -hmm. is, one, the ads are really negative. And mm -hmm. so we're seeing some very negative ads. Two, a lot of outside money, which mm -hmm. is coming into the mm -hmm. state. And so... Someone senses that these Democrats are vulnerable, at least they want to make a race in, mm -hmm. in the state. And so they're putting money into the, the races. Um, my understanding is Hayes is out fundraise Logan by a large mm -hmm. amount. And so um, which is really surprising just how close that race to some polls is showing. But for me, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of the Senate, I, I think, you know, and which is odd if, you know, if my students are talking, if I'm talking about the Senate to my students, I talk about just how bad it is for democracy, the Senate in terms of as an institution. But to me, it's, it's going to be a fascinating race this year because I think we're, this is the one race where I think we will see uh, the Republican talk about issues that really aren't necessarily about Connecticut, but try to bring in these national issues. And so these issues around culture, these issues around immigration, these issues around, I think for her, the belief is that those are things that may excite people to come out. I'm not sure that's going to happen. But I think that race to me is the most fascinating one because I pay most attention to national politics. And I think this is the one which will capture the interest at a national level. Donald Trump has made the endorsement in the state. And so, to, you know, for her campaign, I think she's going to go with that. I wouldn't be surprised if Trump makes a visit to the state yes. to campaign for her. And so to me, that's the one that's really interesting. And the last thing I'll say is I actually think turnout may be higher than we expect. We've been trending since 2006 for uh, increased turnout. Lots of people are showing up at the polls. And I think um, that trend will continue. Will we hit presidential levels? No. But certainly there is a real opportunity that we'll do better than we did four years ago this time around. You want to go on Just that? one yeah. more thing I just want to yeah. say about the 5th District. You yeah. want to go on that? Yeah, I do. You go, you yeah. go. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll thing, jump in And later. I'd be interested to hear you on this, seconds. You got, yeah. go, go, go. Uh, I'd be interested to hear you on this, too. Yeah. I, I think one of the problems we're seeing here, though, and it's a, a problem that is borne right now more by the Republican Party than by the Democrats, these summer primaries are not good. Oh. And so you've got a situation here and where... Levy got, I think, 47,000 votes to win the nomination. Blumenthal, who's her opponent, mm. got a million plus votes <laughs> yeah. in the last election. So 47,000 votes. And, and yeah. really, you probably were squeezing out Demis Claritus, her opponent, who has more of a centrist Republican, probably has a better chance yeah. of putting some heat on Blumenthal. And it also, and this is what I really want to hear the common mm. cause guy talk about, is <laughs> the Republicans have flirted, particularly when Tom Demore was their chairman, with right. the idea of an open primary. Uh, and, you know, back to Frankie's numbers, it's 460,000 Republicans, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 900 and something thousand unaffiliated voters and 800,000 
or so Democrats. So if you're the Republicans, why don't you want to have the unaffiliated voters participate in your primaries so you get a candidate who can get some of those votes? Now, the answer is because they won't pick the red meat Republican. That's the one that they like. And they don't even mind going down in flames with a candidate who's not as viable in the general as somebody else. But yeah. I want to hear what you think about I, open know, primaries. I, I, well, I like open primaries. Yeah. But I don't think it's going to happen no. in Connecticut. And I think what the parties want is control over that process. Mm. But this time around, what we saw is that party-endorsed candidates, and it's not just Connecticut, but this is a national mm -hmm. phenomenon. That base that turns out for primaries swings either so far to the right or so far to the left that the party is losing control in some races with that. I mean, but they win, they win most of the time. But yeah. they, they've lost control in some key races. And especially for the Republicans nationally, they have some candidates who are much more extreme than the mainstream of the party would like. Mitch McConnell has said, look, we got bad candidates and so we're going <laughs> to lose. We're not going to win the Senate. And the House is now looking like a question mark as well in terms of being able to hold on to it. But I think, you know, the idea of open primaries for me, I, I endorse it. I'm not making a common cause call on this, <laughs> but it's something that I endorse in that sense. Yeah. Frankie? Yeah, just really quickly, and I appreciate the honesty there. Now I, now I know a little bit more about the situation. But I, just back to the 5th District, what was interesting to me is that when you're talking about money nationally from the Democrats, mm -hmm. there's this ad out there that paints George Logan as this anti-abortion yep. Democrat, right? Yeah. And Johanna Hayes, in her interviews, has stayed away from that and said, look, I'm talking about issues and what's happening in the race. And that's not my ad. It's a DNCC ad. Mm -hmm. But I, I want to kind of get the spoiler alert. I want to kind of get to the bottom of that when we have the fifth district debate, because that's going to be interesting if, if, mm -hmm. if Johanna Hayes ever steps out to talk about that kind of issue or if Logan ever actually uh, posits and talks about abortion in that light. Right. Well, he's, he has spoken back about that and, and clarified his position. But this is the oldest trick in the book, right? I mean, you don't run this. He's not the your... most anti-abortion. <laughs> no, no, no. That's what I'm trying to yeah, say. Yeah, right. No, yeah, he's not. He's not yeah. at all. Right. But this is the oldest trick in the book. You don't run that campaign ad. You get somebody what else to run that campaign ad. I can't control uh, these people. Uh, uh, now, uh, they, uh, now they know what question's coming, so we kind of spoiled it. Got to get it on the record, yeah. though. Gentlemen, let's talk about some polls. And before we start talking about polls, I know that uh, I was uh, given a warning by Frankie that, Colin, you got some thoughts on polls before we get into polls? <laughs> no, no, no. I know. I want to take your question. Okay. All right. Uh, so Emerson College, a poll shows that Blumenthal is 13 percentage points ahead of Leora Levy. And then we also have a Emerson College uh, poll with uh, The Hill and WTNH. It says Lamont is at 48.5%. Stefanowski is at 38% and 9% undecided. What do we think about that? I mean, first of all, you know, the 13-point thing, it sounds like kind of a big lead. For Blumenthal, it really isn't. I mean, Blumenthal won, for example, two to one in this last election cycle. And that, that should be a little bit of a hint that we're probably not going to see landslides this time. We're probably not going to see, you know, massive defeats of Republicans, massive victory margins for Democrats. Um, I, I think those polls, those two polling numbers are, they feel pretty much right. I think they also you line like up. You like the Emerson poll. But the but there's other polls that you don't. Well, there are some much credence to. terrible polls out there. But I mean, <laughs> I mean, Emerson and, and Q Quinnipiac. Those are the two polls we rely on typically in the state. I don't know where Quinnipiac is right now. I mean, like, why aren't they polling? But I just saw one out of Georgia. I think they were looking at the Georgia. Yeah, race. Yeah. yeah. But they're based here. Yeah. Do one. Yeah. <laughs> Do yeah. one here. <laughs> gotcha. But you know, those are good. Those are both really good polls. Um, yeah. and, and I think 
the gubernatorial one is probably about right. My understanding had been that Stefan, but prior to the poll, that Stefanowski's internals were showing him in a double-digit deficit too. So I think that's probably about right. The interesting thing about the Emerson one for me was the issues one. I think you alluded to this, but like, yep. And and you have to see. I'm always reticent to talk about the numbers until people actually come out and vote, because at least in this poll, the biggest issue that people were voting on that are voted that are being surveyed in this poll is 40% on the economy. Yeah, the top one is a 40% economy, and then the next one is 14% threats to democracy. But you see that disparity? There's a huge disparity. Economy, it's inflation, it's gas prices. We've seen uh, Stefanowski talk about gas prices and diesel, and uh, even the Johanna Hayes ad, we talk about the economy as well. So You think about it, though. You, abortion is a big issue. Yep. Threats to democracy are a yep. big issue. You would think that people would come out for, especially the majority in the state, but it's not a big yeah, issue yeah. in, in so, that poll. We're running out of time, so final Sorry. thoughts. Okay. I, I, I think it's, it's a great election year. It's a great year to be teaching campaigns and elections <laughs> here at the University yeah. of Hartford, if I can put that plug in for yeah. myself. Um, and, and I think these races are going to be a lot closer than what we um, anticipate. And I think it will say a lot about, you know, this sort of continuing trend that voters are frustrated with leadership and are willing to challenge even incumbents who have been in for decades to really get their attention and say, hey, we need to deal with issues like the economy, for example. Colin, One thoughts? thing that hasn't been mentioned tonight that I think is something Democrats will have to reckon with going down the line. Blumenthal, I assume this is his last cycle. John Larson, I think, was elected in 1998. Yep. Um, you know, Joe Courtney has just won seven elections. Himes has won six elections. It's uh, Rosa DeLauro, I think, it, during the Ice Age, she got elected here. Uh, I, I mean... At some point, they are going to have to bring in some fresh blood, and they're going to have to not rely on kind of people who've been there a long time. But the time. statewide offices for the Democratic Party are yeah. quite diverse yes. and new blood. And so There's, that at least we had, if we had more time, I would watch, yeah. watch the yeah. incumbents. It's very hard to beat an incumbent at, at, at all, but in Connecticut particularly. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you for watching tonight. Our debate series uh, in conjunction with the League of Women Voters of Connecticut will continue on Tuesday, October 4th, that debate will be between the candidates for the U.S. House of Representatives 2nd Congressional District. Catherine Shin will be your uh, uh, host live from Eastern Connecticut State University. If you have a question you'd like to ask the candidates, head to ctpublic.org slash vote and click on Connecticut Votes 22. For Frankie, Colin, and Bilal and the team here at Connecticut Public, thank you so much for watching. I'm Walter Smith-Randolph. Have a great evening. All right, looks like we've got another minute. Any oh. last thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> got one minute. Well, first of all, thank you, Walter. You did just yes, such a, did a great job. Exactly. Short notice, I will say. <laughs> yeah, we put this together at what? Uh, four hours? <laughs> and, and you kept us all under control, right. which is yeah. a good thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I want to talk to you after the. I mean, I'll just quickly say being governor is really hard, and people come up to you and yell yeah. at you all the time. <laughs> being a U.S. senator is like living in Disneyland, and your name is Mickey. You know, and that's why they stay a long time because it's it's so easy to be in Washington. We yeah. got that U.S. two uh, race uh, shaping out on October 11th, or excuse me, October 4th. That's our next one. Yep. Stay tuned afterwards. We're gonna have a post show after. Yes, you'll be doing analysis. the post show after yeah. all of the debates. And which one is yours? U.S. five. That's on October 20th. U.S. five. Oh, okay. Sizzling, Rumble. Huh? That's hot. <laughs> <laughs> it won't be hot for me. I'll be in that. Well, it will be hot. It'll be too hot for me. I'll be in that moderate. Yeah. Well, when this is rescheduled, remember, University of Harvard, Lincoln Theater. Bring it That's back. That's right. We're going to try it. <laughs> so Professor. Thanks so much, everyone. You have a great evening.